in one of her messages the mother says who can understand shirobindo he is vast as the universe and his teaching is infinite so what we have been doing in the last uh, few days is just to share some of the joy and love that we all have for mother and shirobindo as to understanding there is not one way not one kind of understanding so whatever we read or whatever we share nothing should be turned into a dogmatic axiomatic truth all that we need to know and understand is there in the mother and shirobindo's works and we should read them and the understanding will grow from within for in the last analysis truth resides here in the silent spaces of the soul with this background we will turn to today's subject and it's such a wonderful way to start the day with sunil das music with mother and shirobindo right here and all her children all around this is um, part of it i had just uh, referred to yesterday but i had not read it i had just recounted from memory but i thought we can read a little bit of what mother has to say about savitri it may then be said that savitri's revelation it is a meditation it is a quest of the infinite of the eternal if it is read with this aspiration for immortality the reading itself will serve as a guide towards immortality of course immortality here is not just the physical survival of the body or the limited human personality the first immortality is to recover the consciousness of immortality that means the that part in us which is immortal which survives death and birth and death the second immortality is to discover the infinite for the infinite cannot die by its very nature it is only finite things that are subject to passing out of sight they also do not die but they just pass out of their range they change from one form to another but for us it is a death savitri is the quest for immortality and eventually the third and the final immortality which shirobindo speaks of the crown of the yoga is that the very body when it shares the substance of the spirit when it can follow the movement of the universal self without lagging behind then that too shall taste the immortality so this is a threefold immortality and the mother says the whole path is there to read savitri is indeed to practice yoga spiritual concentration one can find here all that is needed to realize the divine my child yes everything is there mysticism occultism philosophy the history of evolution the history of man of the gods 
of creation, of nature, how the universe was created, why, for what purpose, what destiny, all is there. All the prophecies, all that is going to happen is presented with a precise and wonderful clarity. So let's read one of these prophecies. Narad has been reading from book 11, which is basically um, the whole future is revealed in that. But we'll read uh, from another portion, book 3, canto 4. The context is that Ashupati has gone past all the worlds, not just this physical world, but all the worlds that are behind and beyond the physical. The lower worlds, the brighter worlds, the kingdom of the gods, the overmind consciousness, he has overpassed all of them. And from that vantage point, he looks upon creation and he looks upon what is inside the heart of things. And he sees something and what he sees, he is expressing it. And he is expressing it to none else but the Divine Mother, that there is something I have seen. When will that happen? It's like a little child who has seen what mother is preparing in the kitchen. And he says, Mom, when am I going to have that lovely dish which I just smelt and I have had a hurried glimpse into it? So, these lines are very significant also because... Um, we often wonder, we look around and we see a dance of death and destruction. And we wonder, where is that song of immortality in it? That note. Interestingly, it seems that these notes of immortality are best captured soon after the crash and clash of destruction that takes place. We have the Bhagavad Gita given to us right in the middle of the battlefield. And here Ashupati sees or hears, it saw from timelessness the works of time. Overpassed were the leaden formulas of the mind, overpowered the obstacle of mortal space, the unfolding image showed the things to come. So Ashpati is seeing what is going to come. This is a revelation. And this revelation is not just to give us just a human hope. It is a truth which is seen. And Sri is revealing it as it is. A giant dance of Shiva toward the past. There was a thunder as of worlds that fall. Earth was overrun with fire and the roar of death, clamoring to slay a world his hunger had made. So this world that has been built so far has been built under the supervision of death. So, you know, we see this all the time in the field of medicine, that they make a medicine and they praise it to, to, to the utmost, this is the best medicine. And the next year they point out that all the defects and new medicines come. 
So I suspect right in the beginning there is a plan to make something which is defective, not perfect. So that next year another product can sell. I think in the markets they use this strategy. They leave a little gap and a lacuna. So death makes a world which is a little imperfect. And it wants to swallow it back. It loves this game. Mother has said, mother says at one place, my child, nature knows that eventually perfection will come. But it is in no hurry. It has millions of years before it. And it enjoys the game. We don't enjoy it. But it enjoys the game. So it doesn't mind another million years March of civilization, centuries passing by, collapse, wars. It loves all this drama and uh, horror and nightmare. So, all this process has to be now undone. It, a clean ground has to be made. In one of um, another letters, mother says, my child, because it's the hour of new creation, both destructive and constructive forces are very active in the field. But what we should do? We should put ourselves on the side of the constructive forces. Destructive forces will do their work. There is much which must pass away and they will do it. They know very well how to do it. They, have this, they are expert in this field. But what they do not know is how to construct a new world, how to create a new world. And that's where the new consciousness and her children should step in. But first, the dance of death before the song of immortality. Earth was overrun with fire and the roar of death. Clamoring to slay a world his hunger had made. There was a clangor of destruction's wings. The titan's battle cry was in my ears. Both titans and gods, they both have their appointed task. They are doing a good job. We must know <laughs> which side we have to be. That's all. They are doing their job. They are the left and the right hand of the body of God. That's how Shabito describes. We'll just come back to what that titan is. We often, I think here we have been talking about that and we can just read a few lines. All contraries are aspects of God's face. So eventually even what we look at as darkness, even that serves a purpose. In one place, Savitri describes death as an eater of the cold remnants of the sun. There was something which was valid at a particular point of time. In space and time when things manifest, it was valid. It serves its purpose. A time comes when it must pass away. It applies to individuals, it applies to institutions, it applies to groups, it applies to everything. And then, who has to do the cleaning part? Death has to do. He is nothing else but a sweeper in the garden of the Lord. Nothing to be afraid of. He plucks away the flowers that are fading and takes them back or puts them back to soil. So that soil is enriched, that is his job. All contraries are aspects of God's face. The many are the innumerable one. The one carries the multitude in his breast. He is the impersonal, inscrutable soul. He is the one infinite person seeing his world. 
So what a magnificent vision this is. He is carrying the multitude in himself, in his breast. These wide divine extremes, these inverse powers, now this is what we have been often talking about, these wide divine extremes. On one pole, as Shubhinda puts, the spirits, bright, luminous potencies, burn in the rapture of the hush of God. These are the absolute potencies, the great gods who are up above there. And how they act? A deep surrender is their source of might. They cannot be moved by human pity, all barter of, and bribe of worship they refuse. They act like that. They don't uh, care about, you know, us earthlings. They act when they have to act and they go back. On the other extreme, all the powers that prevent their action, which pull back earth, back to the earth, back to the roots, back to the inconscience. So, Shurabindo is revealing to us a vast Vedantic truth. One of the greatest truths that has been ever revealed. These wide divine extremes, these inverse powers, are the right and left side of the body of God. This was the original meaning of Asura. Asura was the left side, the power and the force. Gods were the right side, the knowledge and the light. The might and the right. Existence balanced, twixt two mighty arms, confronts the mind with unsolved abysms of thought. Darkness below, a fathomless light above. In light are joined, but sundered by severing mind. Our mind lives in either or, either this or that. But in that great unity, both are joined in a light that surpasses all our understanding. Two contraries stand face to face, opposite, inseparable. Two contraries needed for his great world task. Two poles whose currents wake the immense world force in the stupendous secrecy of his self. Above the world brooding with equal wings. He is both in one beginningless, without end. Transcending both, he enters the absolute. So this is the, both work, both aspects. They work to wake up. The darkness lashes at us. Pain is the hammer of the gods to break. A dead resistance in the human heart. An inertia as a wood or stone. Because our hearts tend to fall into complacency. So the dread teacher pain comes, wakes us up. It's 7 o'clock. First the gods come actually. They gradually, gods have a very decent way of doing things. Please wake up, you know, it's time. Look, the sun rays have come. What a beautiful dawn. We don't listen. It says, look, the birds are chirping. Blanket. Oh, the flowers are blooming. Don't disturb me. So gods have this tendency to quietly recede into the background. Look, we have told you, you want to sleep? Fine, you miss out the day. Then comes the titan. His ways are different. He says, oh, I see. Picks the blanket, throws it away. 
throws a whole bucket of water on her face. And we say, how cruel art thou? God says, when I sent you my angels, you fellows were sleeping. So what to do? I had to send the titan. He has to also do his job. I, he's also on my payrolls. So, you know. <laughs> so titan's job is to clear the ground. Alarm and rumor shook the armored knight. But what he sees is something amazing. We see this. But Ashupati also sees along with this night, the thick of night. There is a very beautiful couplet in Urdu. I think a couple of persons may relate with it. I will translate in English. I just enjoy, you know, that original. Sab nakhat ama ke doob gaye, sara akash tumhara hai. The seer is praying to the sun. And what is he saying? Sab nakhat. Nakhat is uh, nakshatra, the stars. Now all the stars have been put out. All the watch fires of the night have been extinguished. There is not one single drop of light anywhere. It's chill dark. Fathomless darkness and night. O sun arise. All this field is yours. Sara Akash Tumhara hai. I have cleared everything. Now you come. I invoke you. So in that darkness, what does Ashupati see? Alarm and humor shook the armored night. I saw the omnipotence flaming pioneers over the heavenly world that turns towards life. Mother says at one place, the darkness is deepest before the dawn. Come crowding down the amber stairs of birth, forerunners of a divine multitude. Out of the paths of the morning star they came into the little room of mortal life. Look at what a wonderful description. Mother says, these children will feel very uneasy. She has even told that you can call these children, aspire for this new creation, aspire for these children who are waiting for beings who are ready to embody them. And she has said that after 1967, children who are born, especially to those who have turned towards this light, towards the mother and Shurabindo, are very special. But she says, let me tell you a word of caution. They are going to be very difficult to manage. They are not going to listen to, you know, all that uh, <laughs> the old consciousness is going to tell them. Do this, don't do this, behave like this, don't behave like this. They will bring their own light, their own consciousness. And they would feel like strangers in this field. They come from a greater sphere when they enter into the little room of mortal life. It's very constricting. Mother says they, any being of the greater consciousness when he enters into this littleness feels very uneasy. Because it's too small for him. He wants to expand. He wants to grow wider. He wants to express all that he has brought. And that creates a kind of internal unease. I saw them cross the twilight of an age, the sun-eyed children of a marvelous dawn. The great creators with wide brows of calm, the massive barrier breakers of the world, Give them an obstacle and they love it. I have a challenge. 
I'm going to overpass it. So they have to be dealt with very differently. And wrestlers with destiny in her lists of will. The old consciousness meekly and humbly accepted whatever fate brought. It is my fate to remain in the ground, weeping in the dust. How miserable I am, how bad is God, how cruel is destiny, that's all. The new consciousness, if this is it, I am going to change it. I may be born in the mud, but I seek to climb to the sky. This is the new consciousness. So wrestlers with destiny in our lists of will. The laborers in the quarries of the gods. Of course we have Narad here directly. The mother's gardener. The laborers in the quarries of the gods. The messengers of the incommunicable. We have been told nobody can talk about it. It's ineffable, incommunicable. But a new kind of speech, a new kind of thought will awaken and arise in man. It will mold his speech in tune with the higher harmonies of the divine. The architects of immortality. Into the fallen human sphere they came. There is a great invasion going on. We don't understand it. And this is very clear. Sri is making it very clear. The new world will not come by an act of parliament. It will not happen if we are waiting for it that either in the Indian parliament house or in the White House, suddenly there will be a government which will acknowledge that yes, new creation is round the corner and pass an act that henceforth we are going to do everything to encourage the new creation. It is going to resist. Mother has said politics and business are the two things, finances, which will change in the last. Financial world has begun to change. The collapse has started. Politics is yet holding on. She said they are the two things which will change towards the last because they are the two of the strongest holds of the Asura. The darkness will not release it easily. Into the fallen human sphere they came, faces that wore the immortals' glory still. These children will change the world. When Second World War was going on, when the First World War was going on, we don't know who were those children. And those children grew up and they brought a revolution in the world. When Kansa's domain was in the Indian mythology, he was ransacking the neighboring kingdom, levying a heavy tax. Then in some obscure village, a little baby was born and around him, all the little babies surrounding him, they were the architects of the new world. What were they doing? They were dancing across Yamuna. There is a nice little story about it. Sage Durvasa once comes to give a lecture in Mathura, in, in Vrindavan. So all the people there are tormented by Kansai. His taxation system is very heavy, health benefits are very poor and everything is unsafe. So they all ask Durvasar, please you have given enough lecture, we know all about metaphysics, we are done with it, you know, it's precisely what, you know, we have heard all about Vedanta, Tantra, we know, we can write books, we want to know when this world will change and how it will change, this is what Sri comes to reveal, how long we are going to bear this nonsense, so they all ask Durvasar, you are a seer, please tell us when this world will change, we are not interested in your theories. So say he's, he looks into baby Krishna's eyes. He's, he's there in the lap of uh, Yashodama. And Durvasa says, 
Shall I reveal your secret? Eye to eye communication. Shall I reveal your secret? Krishna also replies back. Again, eye to eye communication. You say whatever you want to say. People will understand what I make them understand. <laughs> All their understanding is in my control. So, Durvasa tells cryptically, when a little child will lift a mountain, a hill on his little finger, that time you must know when the reign of Kansa will end and a good age will begin. Now, Durvasa has given a very cryptic clue and he goes away. Now, suddenly there are three groups of people who are sitting. They start analyzing what Durvasa has said. So, one group says, it was his way of saying, look, don't try to ask me questions which have no meaning and no answer. When will Kansa's reign end? So, he has told like this that, you know, when a little baby will lift a mountain, is it possible? It was his way of saying, it is just not possible for the rain to end. And he has left in a huff. So, another group says, well, not on earth. Maybe in heaven, little children can lift up mountains. So, what he meant is, earth will never change. But in some other sphere, you will be free of Kansa's domain. He will go to hell and, you know, everybody can enjoy in heaven. The third group is sitting and it's full of little children. Now, children have this, you know, spontaneous, this consciousness. So, all the babies, some of the babies start telling their moms, Moms, we are not going to school from tomorrow. (laughs) What is it? What is it? Durvasa didn't say that. No, 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 we are going to do exercises. He said one baby will lift. Who knows, I may be that baby. <laughs> sure have been those disciples. The first are stark materialists. Stark materialists. This world will never change. The second are religionists. Not here. Our reward is elsewhere. In some heaven, we will be rewarded. All these fellows who have tormented us, when we go there, they will suffer. And we are going to be rewarded. The third is spiritual realists, the children of Mother and Shurabindo, we are going to lift the mountain. <laughs> and little Krishna is smiling. So, <laughs> these are the children who will come, faces that wore the immortal's glory still, voices that communed still with the thoughts of God, bodies made beautiful by the Spirit's light. Because the bodies will become more and more translucent. Right now it is so opaque, obscure. Carrying the magic word, the mystic fire, carrying the Dionysian cup of joy. The mother when she spoke about today's children, she says, it's amazing. They are so carefree. There is a carefree laughter about them. Who can be carefree? Only the gods or those who have an implicit trust in destiny and in divine. Tell them if you don't study, we were taught like that, if you don't study, you know what you will do? You will not have a decent job to do also. Today's children try to tell them, if you don't study, yeah, don't bother dad. We'll find our way, we'll figure it out. Don't bother. <laughs> you know, they, as if Dionysian cup of joy. And they're happy. They are not burdened with this, oh my God, competition is coming, what will happen, will I, won't I? They are still watching the movie, playing upon the computer. And they really figure out. This kind of, they are coming with this trust in destiny. 
approaching eyes of a diviner man eyes are the index to the soul if ever we want to understand a human being and if we have learned the art of it look into the eyes that will show us a lot about him than all that he says does outwardly because human beings have mastered the art of deception but the eyes never deceive if you have learned to look into the eyes they cannot deceive they are a right mirror into the soul lips chanting an unknown anthem of the soul feet echoing in the corridors of time high priests of wisdom sweetness might and bliss this is what they will bring wisdom sweetness might ananda discoverers of beauty sunlit ways and swimmers of loves laughing fiery floods they are not afraid of loving in one of the places in this poem rishi there is a dialogue between manu and rishi so the whole civilization is destroyed it's it's uh, i i feel it's a story about a previous cycle which shubhendra has revealed it's in a poet, poetic form but the verse is more miltonian so it runs like one half one half like that it runs so towards the end the king asks manu asks rishi tell me some message finally i am all confused you are talking about god here god there god everywhere tell me what should i do so the sage tells him cease not from living and loving o king and then he tells him here on earth you will find him don't be scared don't live like a fearful man afraid of earth afraid of life afraid of rebirth afraid of death and therefore looking for the cheapest ticket to nirvana 1 dollar nirvana 10 dollar nirvana with a passport stamped visa nobody will stop you if you come to my sect you know we have a special tie up so many souls every day can be accepted into nirvana nirvana will not get crowded so we go to that movement oh there are thousands of people going there wonderful this must be pakka road to nirvana so many people cannot be fools what are we scared of there is a we had mentioned about molana room i think shadalu was mentioning molana room was a great mystic and his writings are very much in line with shurbindo's thought but falls short of the great vision so he tells people that why should i be afraid of death he says when i died a mineral i became a plant when i died a plant i became an animal when i died an animal i became man why should i be afraid of death he is pointing out toward the evolutionary progression and yet how tradition can bind us he died a very unfortunate death because in his deepest states of trance he would say i am that of course uh, in urdu i am one with allah now his disciples were very uncomfortable about this how can you be one with god everything else is fine because you know his dualism is there and he would also when he would come out in outer consciousness he would be very uncomfortable about this fact so he told them that if next time i do this make sure that i don't live to see another day very unfortunate how the disparity between the outer and the inner can take place so these children who are going to come they would laugh and dance and dancers within raptures golden doors their tread 
one day shall change the suffering earth and justify the light on nature's face. So this change is not going to take place through big people in big conferences and big debates on television and big parliaments. These children will come. God has his strategy. When all around is darkness, he's sending babies into the world. <laughs> Nobody suspects. Titan knows, of course. That's why, you know, all these babies during the time of Christ and Krishna, all the babies he's hunting because he knows God's strategy. But these babies will still come and change. Although fate lingers in the high beyond and the work seems vain on which our heart's force was spent, all shall be done for which our pain was born. Even as of old, man came behind the beast. This high divine successor surely shall come. Behind man's inefficient mortal pace, behind his vain labor, sweat and blood and tears, he shall know what mortal mind barely does think. He shall do what the heart of the mortal could not dare. He shall take on him the burden of the gods. The might of heaven shall fortify earthly hearts. Burden of the gods. Gods are constantly working in creation to lift it towards the light, to open the door, to show the light. And man now will take up this burden to turn man's soul towards light and love and truth and joy of the divine. This is the burden of the gods. In fact, the mother says he will surpass. There was a story which was shown in playground as a film, the story of Anusuya. This, in fact, is the second revelation that Shurabindu brings. The significance of earth. Very often... We have this uh, in tradition, earth is regarded either as a nursery where souls develop. When they develop to a point, the pot, the nursery has to be left, the pot will break and that plant will be transplanted into heaven. What is the use of that? Heaven is full of those things. That's what Savitri tells that heaven's spaces need him not. Earth needs him. Talks about, she talks about Satyavan when death is transformed and he says, come, both of you ascend to heaven. So she says, what good he has in heaven? Heaven is full of such things. But this is the traditional thought about earth. Or the second thought, somehow we have come into this earth. It's a strange place and ultimately we have to leave it. We are strangers here. This is the common understanding. But Sri Bindo brings a new understanding about earth. He says it's a special formation and the psychic Consciousness, the psychic being is found only on earth. That's what makes it special. So it is a place where evolution can take place, unlike other worlds where gods are fixed to their type. And even lower down, the titans, they are fixed to their type. If they have to evolve, they have to take a human body. That's why they all battle for the human body, because only through the human that the evolution can take place. Evolution is taking place even low below. But conscious evolution is possible only in human beings. 
and that's the beauty and greatness of human being so this film was shown in ashram and the film is about a very ancient indian story of anusuya anusuya is regarded as a sati par excellence sati not the way we understand today but she is a woman who holds in her the fire of truth and love and this is a very seemingly earthly love she she by that powers of that one pointedness of love and truth in the story as it goes to cut a long story short she is able to turn even the three great gods of the indian pantheon brahma vishnu and mahesh into a little babies they actually you know their wives consorts powers they have a competition because narada tells them look you think that you all are great but on earth they are there is such a greatness sometimes that we don't find even in the heavens so the ladies go to their husbands try it out we don't believe it narada is fond of saying all kinds of things please so they go to test anusuya and they put an impossible condition before her we want to eat food cooked by you but undress yourself completely we will sit in your lap and eat anusuya says oh that's all very simple she has the power of truth and love in her she looks at them from the consciousness of a mother towards a child see how the story at in at once is revealing many things it's not the act but the consciousness and instantly the three gods turn into babies she feeds them puts them to sleep now the three goddesses are wondering what has happened to our dear ones they rush down to earth where is he where is where are they and they quietly peevishly ask ansuya did three persons come here asking for something he said oh uh, those three children little babies oh they are sleeping in my room you can find which one is yours and take him home <laughs> this is a story exactly recounted like this in indian mythology it comes in the ramayana and when mother saw this story she said she so true she said there is something in human beings because of which they are greater than the gods and she says because of the psychic being only human beings can manifest true love it's not possible at other levels because human beings have a psychic being and what is psychic being the other day we heard the story it is nothing else but the most intense love which is in the mother's heart the most shadowless light which is in her heart mother aditi that has become the psychic being even the gods are not dreading to go into the darkness but that love and light says i will go and i'll always remain connected so this psychic being is what makes man truly special without this he is worse than animal there is another story then we'll come to this once all the animals say it's very bad that you know everybody talks of human beings as being very special what is wrong with us the dog says i am more faithful than man the lion says i am stronger and yet i am contented the swan says look at my purity and you know crow says i am much more persevering than man and so on and so forth even fox comes and says i am more cunning than man <laughs> why man is greater so they all go to brahma and he says yes that is true all what all you say is true 
but there is only one difference that makes man greater. So what is it? You are fixed to your type. You are what nature has made you, you can't change yourself. But man can change himself. He can grow greater than what he is. So animals are convinced. They all pull a long face. They say, good logic. But then, you know, they are not happy about this. So they turn back and ask the creator, what if man doesn't change himself? So Brahma says, oh, then, then he is worse than all of you. <laughs> now they are very happy and go back. So, the line between man and the animal is as thin as that. If we touch this core, this essence, this psychic being within us and evolve by its pressure, we can grow greater than the gods. But if we don't touch this, we are worse than the animals. So this is what Shurabindu reveals in Savitri and the significance of earth Just a few lines about that. Earth is the chosen place of mightiest souls. This too much of nirvana business is for the cowardly, frankly, who are scared. But earth is the chosen place of mightiest souls. What do these mightiest souls say? I don't mind coming back a thousand times if that be needed for thy work, a thousand times shall I return to be thy clay, O master hand, till all the earth and all its grain is molded into the perfect one. A thousand times shall I return from distant lands of sheltering sun. Earth is the heroic spirit's battlefield the forge where the archmission shapes his works. If you want to change, evolve, come to earth, archmission. He will do all kinds of things. When people take to yoga, this, they, oh, we are going to change, be transformed beings. Our bodies will become luminous. Our consciousness will live in the consciousness of truth. Omnipotence and omniscience will be ours. This is how the titan understands yoga. So he enters... So divine says, good, raw metal, throws it into the furnace. Oh, what is it? I thought you were going to make my body luminous. First you bear this heat, then we'll talk about the luminosity of the spirit. That is the red furnace of purification. I often use this term that the ashram is like a mighty uh, <laughs> washing machine. So... Everyone who goes is put and then the machine is put on run. So when you go inside, ah, I'll come out purified and clean. But then you tumble and you are moving around and then super rinse soap and oh my God, it hurts, it hurts. It doesn't stop because it's not with one person it will stop. You go through the process. If your fabric is torn, it's too bad. <laughs> but when you come out, if you bear that whole process... It is beauty, it is delight, it is love. So that's what earth is. Thy servitudes on earth are greater king than all the glorious liberties of heaven. Who can say this except the soul in us? No other part has the capacity to speak like this. 
If earth can look up to the light of heaven and hear an answer to her lonely cry, not vain their meeting, nor heaven's touch a snare. If thou and I are one, if thou and I are true, the world is true. To be is not a senseless paradox. Since God has made earth, us earth must make in her God. How beautiful. God has made earth, we say. Why? So that earth can rediscover and make within her, within this grain of dust and sand, God. Escape, however high, redeems not life. It is not the solution to the problem. When people would go to ashram saying, Mother, we are... This life is so difficult. We have developed a vairagya. So the mother would say, My child, don't come to ashram to run away from life. If you cannot face the difficulties of ordinary life, how are you going to face the much greater difficulties of yoga? Yoga is a real challenge. One has to fight within oneself. In ordinary life, the enemy is outside. Very simple. We can shut our doors. We can avoid him. We can even put him into trouble. But here the enemy is inside. You, we can't even detect him. And when we detect him, it's so difficult to grapple with him. It is almost we are identified with it. So she would say, my child, don't run away from life and think that you can do yoga in the ashram. Life that is left behind on a fallen earth. Escape cannot uplift the abandoned race or bring to it victory and the reign of God. A greater power must come, a larger light. So this is another revelation that earth is the scene of a great event. And all evolution is taking place here. And we have come here for this work. We have not come here to run away. And we must participate in that. Participate with joy. Participate with gratitude that we have been given this great opportunity. And be willing to come again and again. Because thy servitudes on earth are greater, king, than all the glorious liberties of heaven. What is missing on heaven? The service of God. You don't need to do anything. Everything is provided. So sometimes people say, oh, how many more years before the supramental will come? I have a very simple answer to it. Thousand years? That means I will have the delight of serving the divine for thousand more years. What is the problem? 10,000 years? I will love him through this mortal flesh, long for him in this mortal house. How beautiful. Even that has its delight. Let it come when it will come. But nobody can take from us the joy of loving and serving the divine. That is found on earth. Love because the psychic urges here. Serve again. Mother says, all urge to serve, to progress, all comes from the psychic. So we have that option always in our hands and there is a great delight in it. The third thing that they reveal is about, we are not alone, we are not abandoned. Even in the densest darkness, the divine is with us. Often we think, if I have done a mistake... God will punish us. 
he will abandon us. This has gone so much deep into our psyche. And mother says, my child, I never do that. I only show the way to the light. If I were to do it, then nobody will be able to bear. She says, that's not my task. I only see the divine possibility in you. When people came to her, she would say, I see your soul. There were people who had run away like, like a spy and they would come. There is the actual story of a spy. And every time he would come to the mother, his soul would step out, seeking protection. And she would say, stay on. So it's just that to this he responds. Of course, if this we veil, then it's a different matter altogether. If we turn hostile, it's a different matter. As long as we are open, as long as we are receptive, as long as we are seeking, as long as we are willing to surrender and progress, she will do it ad infinitum. It doesn't matter. Thousand times we fall into the mud, she will lift us. As long as we keep the door open and have the urge to progress. So she is there always. So this is another great revelation. Alive. This I am actually. This is a little compilation. Uh, I mean, I was. Uh, it's Mother's Grace that I was given to make. So I am reading from here. It's basically from Savitri, just to make it a little easy, rather than you know flipping the pages back and forth. So All India Magazine will come out, even as a booklet. Alive in a dead rotating universe, we whirl not here upon a casual globe, abandoned to a task beyond our force. <coughs> Mother says at one place, whatever your difficulties, the strength is given to you in the same measure. And then she says, measure to measure, exactly. If the difficulty is great, exactly that much amount of strength is given. This is of course the flip side of the coin. At one place, mother says, my child, when I told you that the Lord treats its friends very severely, you thought it's a joke? But it is so very true. When someone asked, Mother, I want to serve you like Champaklal. Mother laughed and said, ask him. (laughs) How he has been prepared. It is not easy to be like Champaklal. It needs that kind of a preparation. The divine, I mean, we think it is easy to be near the sun. It's a great preparation that we have to undergo. And he's there in all this. Even through the tangled anarchy called fate and through the bitterness of death and fall, an outstretched hand is felt upon our lives. We are never abandoned. We may not see the divine, but the divine sees us. There's a very touching story about one great sage, Sharananand. He went to ashram. For darshan, he was given permission for darshan. Now he was blind. He had a big following himself. Now he was blind, so naturally some people asked him, you are going for darshan? Darshan means to see, to put your eyes, gaze the Lord. He says, you are blind. You will not be able to see anything. And the Lord will not speak. So, I mean... Why do you want to go for darshan? He had a beautiful reply. He says, my child, he was himself a yogi. Uh, Not my child, he said, bhaiya, brother, even if you had eyes, how much can you see? (laughs) He was a saint. (laughs) He knew. 
what he is talking about. He said, do you guys, you think you see? You are blind. He says, even if you had eyes, how much can you see? I am not going there so that I can see him. I am going there so that their gaze can fall upon me. This is another way to look at life. That an outstretched hand is always there. I may not see it, it's the limitation of my sight. But the limits of my sight are not the limits of light. That's what is being revealed here. One who has shaped this world is ever its Lord. This is one of the most completest Vedantic truths. Vedanta is in many ways it has been expressed. But this is the most perfect Vedanta, expression of a Vedantic truth that I have ever found anywhere. One who has shaped this world is ever its Lord. Our errors are his steps upon the way. That irons out all the questions. Not to worry. Am I doing the right thing? Is this correct? Will mother like it? Not like it? Stay open to mother. Rest will be taken care of. If you close yourself and you may be doing all the right things, they will only puff up the ego. So the right and the wrong here is decided by inwardly. One who has shaped this error, world is ever its lord. But even in its darkness he is there. Our errors are his steps upon the way. In one of his aphorisms, Shurabindu says, There is no evil. There is only good or good in the making. Either there is good when it is manifested or it is good in the making. So our errors are his steps upon the way. He works through the fears, vicissitudes of our lives. This is the living yoga. Mother says, contemplation hours should always be combined with work. She says that radical conversions are always suspect. They cast an imprint, but they don't change the consciousness. It is when we work, work is the anvil through which each of our elements must pass and repass to be purified, made supple, refined, subtler, purer. So our errors are his steps upon the way he works through the fierce vicissitudes of our lives. He works through the hard breath of battle and toil. He works through our sins and sorrows and our tears. God is seated not only in the temple. He is everywhere. Even when we are doing the most stupidest of things, He is there watching us. He comes unseen into our darker parts and there hidden by the darkness does His works till they too feel the need and will to change from Savitri. That He comes into that. His knowledge overrules our nescience. So what we should do? Simple program. Whatever the appearance we must bear. At one place mother says, my child just endure, endure, endure. The change will come, don't worry. Leave it to me, I am, I am doing it. I am doing as best as it could be done. At one place Shurabinda says this, tell him. We are doing for him what best can be done in the present circumstances. Where is our nature ready? So at best can be done means that whatever our strong ills and present fate when nothing we can see but drift and bail a mighty guidance leads us still through all. So this is the human journey. 
which they have revealed the great vision of the future. As I said, there is no end to it, but let me close with two passages, quick passages. I'm sorry because we are running short of time. I'll not um, deliberate. I'll resist all temptation to, you know, <laughs> rather <laughs> get into the revelation part, but it's very, very simple because we often ask what is fate, theory of karma. Somebody has asked this question and we didn't have the occasion to talk about it. Now, Shurabindra has written a lot about it in the book of fate, but just one passage. Again, fate is nothing but a passage for the soul to pass through towards its inevitable destiny. The only difference is, depending on the road it chooses to reach to that point, it will encounter the events. That's all. But its destiny is the divine. O king, thy fate is a transaction done at every hour between nature and thy soul with God for its forcing arbiter. So it doesn't matter whether people appreciate us or not. Every beautiful movement inside us is recorded. Mother says in prayers and meditation, God is addressing to earth, poor sorrowful earth, each change of thy seasons, each thought, each mood, everything, everything without exception leads thee towards me who am endless peace, timeless bliss. Everything leads us. Fate is a balance drawn in destiny's book. Divine Development Banks Private Limited. <laughs> balance drawn. We have deposited, we are thinking, why God is not rewarding? Don't worry. If we need something, when we need it, it will come to us. If our account balance is there, if there is no balance, then nothing, you know, we have, we as well. He'll say, look, look at your this thing. Of course, he keeps adding interest in it. And he, he generously adds, you know, like I read one of those logos on a child's t-shirt. My father is an ATM. So... ATM is in India, you can just keep on drawing money. So he's a never exhausting ATM. So divine keeps adding, but still there has to be something from our side, little bit balanced, so that he can keep the account running at least. So, and even there, what about the negative things that dish out? Man can accept his fate, he can refuse. This freedom is always with us. We can accept, we can say no. At one place, mother says, even if death comes before you, you can tell, I'm mother's child, I don't go to you. Death will wait. There's a story of Queen Elizabeth I, who is one of mother's previous incarnation. And she's on deathbed and all the farmers, suddenly there's a problem and they come to call her. And all the ministers advise, but queen, if you get up, you're you are serious. She gets up and says, no, their problems are urgent to be attended. Death can wait. This power comes from the soul. Arisen from the body's torture and death, the spirit rises mightier by defeat. Its godlike wings grow wider with each fall. Its splendid failures sum to victory. People often crib, Oh, God was so unkind to me, I succeeded in nothing. If we looked carefully, we would say he was very kind to us. He was closing every door so that one door can open. But we don't want that door. 
So God is very unkind. Mother says the only tragedy in life is to die without realizing your soul. All other things are fine. Good job for the next 10 years. O man, the events that meet thee on thy road, though they smite thy body and soul with joy and grief, are not thy fate. They touch the awhile and pass. Even death can cut not short thy spirit's walk. Thy goal, the road thou choosest, are thy fate. If I choose that I must go to Mansarovar, all events on the way, good events, bad events, eventually that's where I am going. If I choose union with the divine as my goal, then that's my fate. What events will come? If I have the right attitude, everything will turn into propelling me closer, faster towards that. And they are actually sent as a help. They are not sent as punishment and reward. They are actually sent as a help to help us move towards our goal faster. And last, when will this come again? What will be the, the same truth that we read earlier? that comes again in this passage. The new creation will come when darkness is deepest. I am not sure whether it is still the deepest. Maybe we have to still... We are still hitching our hope to some stars. We have to hitch our hopes to the sun. When darkness deepens, strangling the earth's breast. And man's corporeal mind is the only lamp. As a thief's in the night shall be the covert tread of one who steps unseen into his house. God entering our hearts, our minds as a thief. Because we don't allow him to come through the front door. And he knows all the back doors because he has made it. He says, no problem. So when we are sitting in meditation, resisting inside, he doesn't come. We say, ah, I sat, I had no experience. And we are walking somewhere and we are unsuspecting. Probably we are watching a movie, Matrix. We are all absorbed. God says, good, that's it. Suddenly when we come out, oh, you know, everything is possible. Suddenly he has come inside and settled. That's how he works. He enjoys it. It's his creation. He can do as he likes of one who steps unseen into his house, a voice ill-heard shall speak. The soul obey, a power into mind's inner chamber steal, a charm and sweetness open life's closed doors, and beauty conquer the resisting world. World will resist till the end. In another prayer, Mother says that I saw, O Lord, that when you came, the whole earth rose up against you and you took it into your arms. And I knew that the earth was saved. What power there is in these lines, one cannot imagine. And then finally, 
a few shall see what none yet understands so we come back to the beginning none of us understands what shurabindu is talking about let's admit in utter humility a few shall see what none yet understands god shall grow up while the wise men talk and sleep for man shall not know the coming till its hour and believe shall be not till the work is done 